I have good news and bad news. Now, are you the type of person, when you hear this, do you want to hear the good news first and then the bad news? More like an eat your vegetables first and then get your dessert type of person? Or do you like it the other way around? It doesn't matter. I have the microphone, so I get to decide. And I'm more of a let's talk about the bad news so we can get to the good news. Okay, so here's the bad news. And this isn't going to be a surprise to any of us because we are all directly affected by this. The world is broken. The world is full of problems and pain. There's broken people, there's broken systems, there's broken relationships. Brokenness abounds. Just this week, I was at a prayer meeting here in the community with other moms, and we go to different churches, we are of different races, our children go to different schools, and we were sharing some of the challenges that our kids and the students and the teachers and the administrators have faced this year, and the Holy Spirit fell in that room, and I began to weep. And I looked around, and some of the other moms were weeping as well because the complex problems that our schools are facing, they feel unsolvable. The world is broken. And in the last couple of years, you know, there's just been increasing darkness in our world. Whether it's COVID or crime, war or inflation, there is so much brokenness. And this brokenness, it's not just kind of out there, it's also in our lives. And if we look at statistics, statistics tell us that there's been a rise in anxiety and depression. This has affected many of us in deep, intimate places. The suicide rate has continued to rise at an alarming rate. It's one of the leading causes of death in America. The world is broken. But I think that many of us, we, we long for a new reality. We, we want wholeness. We, we want financial stability. We want healthy families. We want healthy bodies. We want a new reality. In fact, I would say that the world is actually groaning for a new reality. Now, I'm familiar with groaning because I have a teenage son and a preteen son who I am trying to instill in them the value of chores so that they, they can become capable adults. So all of us parents who are in the groaning stage unite. Okay, so I, I'm used to this groaning, but I was reflecting on this and I thought to myself, you know what? Each of us is used to groaning because we all have social media accounts. And it only takes one quick swipe to see the groaning as people cry out. People want to see change. And yet all these systems, government and healthcare, poverty, injustice, racism, these are complex problems. Truthfully, problems that in many ways we're trying to solve, but yet the world is broken. We have a problem. How many of you long to see the world made new, restored, beautiful, the way the Father intended it? Did you know that desire actually comes from God, the creator of heaven and earth, who longs for us to live in relationship with him, to have the world fully restored, made beautiful and new? This desire comes from him, and yet the world is a broken, broken place. That's the bad news. But you know there's good news. And so that's where I'm gonna go now. The good news is our God has a plan to rescue and redeem, to make new this broken world. And this plan, it centers around the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who conquered the grave, rose from the dead, and now lives in each of us. So this plan, it's not just that about Jesus, it actually involves us. This is really good news. We actually get to help carry out his plan to redeem and restore the world. But what does all of this mean? 
What does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? You know, already we sang that powerful song and we, you know, we sang that he's the, the lion of Judah and, you know, he's the lamb of God. And this is unusual imagery. And so today we're going to unpack that. But first, I'm going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to help us fully understand the good news of the gospel. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here to be in our midst, to be our teacher. Thank you for today. Give us ears to hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to fully understand Easter, we actually have to understand the problem that was at hand. And so we actually have to go back to the very beginning of the Bible, when God created Adam and Eve. You see, God, he wanted a family. And so he created Adam and Eve in his image with his likeness. What that means is that they looked like God and they were to reflect God to the world around them. And then he gave them an assignment. He said to them, you're in charge of this world that I've created. You are to have dominion over this created world. And so Adam and Eve were created to live in union with, Jesus, with God, and they were created to steward the land. But Adam and Eve sinned, and when sin, which is falling, best of God, falling short of God's best, entered the picture, a couple of different things happened. Okay, the first thing is, relationally, they got separated from God. Sin was now between them and their father. But secondly, sin actually changed their identity. They, instead of imaging God, they started imaging sin. They started looking like sin. And then thirdly, sin actually messed with their assignment. It messed with their destiny of being in charge of the world. And so sin, it did a lot of things. Sin is what introduced brokenness into our world. And so pain and problems, death and disease, all of these things were introduced at the fall. That's what it's called when Adam and Eve fell into sin. Okay, so there's this problem. The world is broken. And the question out there is, who is going to fix this problem? And actually, you might not have known that, but that's what the Bible is all about. It's the story of how God rescued his people from this problem. Okay, so today, I'm really excited because we are actually going to join Jesus's best friend, John. Um, John is now in his old age, and he was exiled to an island for preaching about Jesus near the end of the first century. And it's an incredibly messy time in history. Christians are being killed. John is exiled to this island. And while he's on the island, he has some incredible experiences with God, and he writes those experiences down. And that's where we get the book of Revelation. Revelation is the last book in the Bible, and it's going to be our text today. Now, I do know that today is Easter, so stick with me, okay? Because it's a really powerful text that maybe you've never heard in the Easter context. We are going to be in chapter 5, but context is so important when we're reading the Bible. And so I want to explain what happens in chapter 4. Now, a couple of things. We believe in the supernatural, we believe in the supernatural power of God and in mysterious things, and sometimes that's unexplainable. But some of the things that John describes in this book are otherworldly, but they're very important for our context. And so what we need to know, something amazing happens in chapter four. John, in a vision, goes to the throne room of heaven. Wouldn't that just be amazing? Like, I kind of wish that would happen to me, but it hasn't, so I'll keep you updated. So he goes to the throne room of heaven, and let me describe to you what he sees. He sees God sitting on a throne, and God is, de is described as being as colorful as gemstones, and around his head is an emerald rainbow. 
All around him are 24 elders in white robes with gold crowns. And then there's four living creatures also in there. There's a sea of crystal glass in front of him. There's lightning and thunder. There's fire. There's lots of sights and sounds. Okay, so it is very intense. And at this point, John's vision continues. And this is where we're going to pick up in chapter 5, verse 1. And if you want to, you can look at the scriptures. They're going to be on the screen. Or if you want to open up your phone, you can do that. This is Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. I'm going to pause here. What is important that we know so far? Okay, the first thing is the plan is in the hand. The plan is in God's hand. We start off with this incredible picture of God, the creator of the world, the architect, and the plan is in God's hand, in a scroll. Now, a scroll was basically like their book, and this scroll had writing on the front and back. That was actually unusual. And that means that this scroll has lots of information, important information, And it's safe to assume that this scroll had God's plan for how he was going to rescue and redeem and restore the broken world. And so it's this incredible picture. Now, it's password protected 21st century style. Okay, no facial IDs or like passcodes, although I did notice today my iPhone updated and now I can wear my mask with my phone and I don't, yeah, did anyone else? Okay, so no, no, it's not like that. Okay, so first century, they used wax seals and little string. And so this seal, this scroll, is, it's sealed. And a question is, is pointed out. An angel says, who is worthy to open this scroll? Now, I think it's important that we pause here on this word worthy, because this isn't a word that we actually use that much. So what does the word worthy mean in this context? It means who is deserving? Who is qualified? Who is able? And no one is found. And and. John begins to weep bitterly. No one has the right, has the ability, deserves to open this scroll. Think of it like this. No one had the high enough clearance level. No one had access to this. And this was a problem, okay? Because in the beginning, God committed to working through humanity. He loves us. He wants a family. And this problem of sin actually has to be solved by a human, And yet, no humans are worthy, no humans are able or deserving to open this scroll. Why? Because we've all contributed to the problem at hand. We have all fallen short. We have all sinned. And so none of us is worthy. Sin has damaged our qualification to participate. And so now this question hangs out there. This angel says, who is worthy? Who is worthy to carry out God's plan of rescue at this point. And so let's go now to verse five and read a couple more verses. This is what happens next. And at once, and, and I'm sorry, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered. So he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb 
standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Okay, again, this is so visual. And so I know for some of us, this might be a challenge, but I also know a lot of you guys like sci-fi and like things like that. So get yourself in that space. We're in the throne room, okay? And remember, John's there. The angel has posed this question. And one of the elders who we, we learned about in chapter four says, stop crying and behold or look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. He has defeated and already won. Now, he used some language in there about like the, the lion of Judah, the root of David. And for many of us, we're like, hmm, I'm not really sure. But to the first century Jew, this really would have meant something because they knew of the scriptures. They knew that the scriptures foretold that the Messiah, the one who would save them, the one who would redeem them, the one who would restore the world was going to be from the tribe that David was from, the tribe of Judah. And so what this angel is saying is, it's already been done. It's already been done. This is an amazing truth. But something crazy happens. Because when John looks, he doesn't see a lion, he sees a lamb. He sees a slain yet victorious lamb with seven horns representing his power and seven eyes representing his ability to be all-knowing. All of this representing the seven spirits of God throughout the world. This is some amazing lamb. But John has to hold in tension what he has heard and what he sees. And from now on, we are to hold these two things in tension. This is the picture of our Redeemer. Which, can, can we get more opposite than a lion and a lamb? A lion, a symbol of power and royalty, the king of the jungle, jungle power, might, and a lamb. Gentleness, humility, sacrificial love. And these two things come together as the picture of our Redeemer. These two things are what we now know is who Jesus is. You see, the victory of the lion can only be accomplished through the sacrifice of the lamb. And this is such a weird picture for us because we think that the broken world is going to be made right through punching and power. And what Jesus shows us is it actually comes through our sacrificial love. You see, the victory of the lion can only come through the sacrifice of the lamb. It's an incredibly beautiful, beautiful picture. And, and it's crazy because what ends up happening here is, is that it's revealed Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. Jesus is the lion of Judah. And what they're saying in that moment is Jesus is God. Jesus is the one you have been waiting for, the one who is here to redeem and restore. And Jesus is the lamb. That actually points to Jesus's humanity. Remember, God committed to working through humans to solve the problem of sin. And so Jesus became a man. He became like us so we could become like him. This is actually the message of Jesus. Jesus is God's rescue and redemption plan for the hurting and the broken world. He takes broken things and he makes them new. This is what Jesus does. And this is actually the message of Easter. 
that we can be free from sin and death, and now we can live in God's everlasting kingdom. Now, what is the response in the room to the good news that Jesus, the lion, and the lamb is worthy? Worship. You know we're going to have a great worship set today. It's coming. Okay, I'm going to finish reading this chapter. It says this, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have been made a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And all and the four living creatures said amen. And all the elders fell down and worshiped. Talk about a worship party. Talk about a worship party. You know that when the lamb takes the scroll, the response is immediate. In heaven, the elders and the creatures, they bow down in worship and they sing a new song. You see, Jesus is worthy because it says it, actually right there in verse 9, he is worthy, he is qualified, he is able because he was slain and he ransomed, his blood ransomed, it paid for the debt for people, for God, from every tribe and language, every people and nation. And what I love about this is no, no person is excluded. This good news is for everyone. And we have the amazing opportunity in this house to have people from lots of different countries and nations, from Congo and Nigeria, from Canada, and from, I, I wrote them down, not exhaustive, but Brazil and Mexico and Colombia and China and Taiwan. This is actually the picture that we see that every knee will bow, that every tongue will confess, that he is worthy to open the scroll. And why is he worthy? He is worthy because he is the sinless, perfect sacrifice, taking away that brokenness for us. You see, this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus took care of the problem of sin. I want to go to Colossians right now. This is verse, or chapter 2, verses 13 and 15. And this is the apostle Paul writing. And this is what he says happens on the cross. You were dead. That's me and you. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Remember, sin separated us from God. It damaged our ability to reflect him. We started reflecting sin. And what Jesus did when he went to the cross is he took that sin. He took it upon him. He actually stripped us of our sin nature and we actually become saints. Our sin nature is cut off. All of our sins are forgiven. 
This is his plan. He disarms the enemy, and this is his victory. This is actually what we celebrate today, that Jesus died and rose again so that we could be free from the brokenness in this world and live with him forever. Now, here's the good news. There's actually more to the gospel story than many of us know. Let's go back to those three problems that sin created in our life at the beginning. The first, that we're separated from relationship with our Father. You see, what the cross makes, makes possible and the resurrection makes possible is that we go from slave to son. We are in the family of God. He loves you. He has a good plan for you. He wants you in his family. The second thing that happens is our identity is changed. We go from sinner to saint. Now, what, what is confusing to people is people say, can I, then that means I never sin anymore? No, but it does mean that God has made you righteous. And what that means is a churchy word. It means that we are right in our being. And what happens in this moment is that we actually realize who we were always made to be. And the last thing that happens is God restores that destiny. We get to work with him again. We like to say it this way. We go from being self-focused to being a soldier in God's army. Because here's the truth. The brokenness that you see in the world around you, the things that make you cry, the things that your heart is crying for to be, to be different, God has actually given you that so that you'll partner with him to bring wholeness to this broken world. The good news is that he is worthy and he makes us worthy. And that is an astonishing, astounding, and I can, you know, like people often say, well, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy. And you know what? I understand, but this is actually the good news of the gospel. Jesus actually makes us worthy. Right there in Revelation 5.10, he said, we become a kingdom of priests who reign with him forever. I love how um, N.T. Wright, who is an author and a theologian, says, we go from rubbish to royalty. And I know some of us today, you feel like rubbish, but the truth is you are royalty. We receive our worth from him and it changes everything. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2. He says, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, listen up. You can show others the goodness of God for he has called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now we have received, now you have received God's mercy. You see, when you say yes to Jesus, you become part of his family. He has chosen you and he calls us out of darkness into light. He makes broken things whole. And, and I know that some of us, we're in very difficult situations. We have a lot of pain in our life and I connect so much through story. And so today I want to share a story with you of David Woodrow, who is our worship director at our Sullivan campus. He has an incredible story of how Jesus has taken him from brokenness to wholeness. Take a look. Like I hear all these people singing songs about, you know, Jesus is worthy and let's give him highest praise and all this stuff. And, I'm, and coming in on an outsider, I'm like, that's kind of weird. But when I start to experience this unconditional love, and like, it doesn't matter if I failed, it doesn't matter, even if I've succeeded, the way that responds to me is still the same. It's still, David, I love you more than you could ever imagine. Um, and that's been the thing that has like started to penetrate my heart with like, okay, maybe he is actually worthy. 
yeah, I grew up in Springfield, Ohio. Both my grandparents both did really great things. And so there was kind of like this just way to like accomplish and do something great. So I ended up going into engineering and just kind of struggled my way through it. I graduated, got a job making great money and I ended up just like getting off work every single day, like kind of reevaluating my life. It was like the most depressed I'd ever been. Through that process, 18 months into my job, I ended up getting uh, addicted to painkillers. It made me feel happy again because I was like so depressed. I eventually come clean to HR. They actually pay for me to go to rehab. I go into rehab for two weeks. I end up getting kicked out. I, I enter into what's called like a manic state. In that crazy state, I went over to my ex-girlfriend's house, broke in, took her dog, and then I went over to my roommate's house. I got in a fight, a physical fight with him, and then the cops come, and I wind up in jail. I end up getting pepper sprayed in jail. I try to go and wash it out. I end up using toilet bowl water and just sloshing it all over my face, getting my hair all wet. So it seemed way more embarrassing to call it to God than to call it to my mom. Like, I just couldn't do it. But somehow, I, I just did. I, I ought to have called out to God. I said, God, will you help me? He said, I want you to go and look into the fluorescent light in your cell. I said, okay. I just went and looked. He says, I want you to draw your eyes back on. So I put my fingers in my eyes and drew them back on, and then I could see perfectly again. And then I had this thought that says, you're created in my image. Like it just totally, totally filled me with, uh, filled me with hope. Uh, it totally changed my, my whole attitude. I was, like I was saying, I was being manic before. After that, I just sat down in peace, just wondering like what just happened. After that point in jail, I ended up going to a court-ordered mental hospital for a month. I go to an outpatient treatment I get clean. Uh, I'm not even thinking about drugs or anything. On my plane ride back home, as soon as my plane lands, I'm just like, oh, I'm gonna call my drug dealer. That thought, I believe, came from, I hadn't replaced that vacancy in my heart. And sure enough, I just wound right back into addiction. Uh, four months later, my job catches me starting to pill out my car and they fire me. So I just end up moving back in with my mom and I end up going to church. They invite me to start like playing guitar and I, I get kind of wrapped up in this community and from experiencing unconditional love and this pursuit from community and from God, like I started to believe that maybe God is actually real and that I can actually trust him. Not only does he do this, not only does he pursue me, but he willingly gave his life so that he could be with me forever. Like, that's where I'm like, Lord, you are worthy. Like, yes, you are. Like, you're absolutely worthy. And I'm realizing it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what Jesus did. No ifs, ands, or buts, that's the end of the statement. He says he'll be known as faithful and true, and I'm experiencing that to be true. And man, I met my now wife, um, most beautiful, most amazing human being I've ever met. And then offered a job to work as a worship director full time. Like it's my dream. Like it was always my dream to work in music. Liv and I both serve uh, on the worship team 
and we have a young adult group uh, at the Vineyard Church in Sullivan. Like, I'm the most happy I've ever been in my life by a long stretch, and it's all because of what Jesus did. Yeah, from drug addict to worship director, Jesus is in the business of healing broken things and restoring them. And today, some of you may not know Jesus and we want to introduce you to him because he wants to give you a brand new identity. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He wants to take those things that have held you in bondage, those addictions, those habits, those hangups, and he wants to replace them with his spirit. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus makes broken things new. You see, Jesus, the lion and the lamb, the one who is worthy to open, our, open the scroll, it, it is an incredible truth, and I, I sense the Holy Spirit just say there's two responses, two ways we can participate in this Easter message. The first way is that we commit to working with the worthy one. You see, what is incredible about this story is that Jesus is worthy and then he makes us worthy. And this is actually what qualifies us to work the plan with him. We believe that Jesus is working in all these different areas of brokenness and frustration that our world faces and we get to work with him. We get to partner with him in this journey. You know, I love how David right now is working with Jesus. He's doing the work that he was called to do. He, he's leading people into God's presence so they can experience his love. You know, he's working with Jesus as he leads a small group. Small groups are incredible places for growing and transformation. And they've got this amazing group of young adults that are scattered all throughout central Illinois doing the stuff. He, he's working with Jesus and his wife as they live and serve people in their community. God loves the world. He wants to see the brokenness in the world restored. And each of us is invited into work with the worthy one. This is an incredible, incredible truth. I was talking to another pastor on our team here, Daniel, this week, and he shared this with me, and I, I felt so strongly that th this was a word from the Lord. He said, you know, many Christians are trying to solve the problems and issues of in things like injustice, like the lion, but the answer actually comes in the lamb. You see, Jesus, he could have just come as a lion, but instead he chose to come as a lamb. When we act like lions, we're waging war with the world, and those weapons are often aggressive and carnal. When we act like lambs, when we're gentle, when we're kind, when we're forgiving, when we're loving, when we're honoring, we actually wreak havoc in the spiritual realm as lions. So did you catch that? You see, what the world sees is a lamb, but what they hear is a lion. Yes. And this is actually the invitation to each of us. You see, some of us, we've been fighting, we've been fighting, we've been fighting, and the invitation today is to surrender. It's to surrender to the way of our Redeemer, that he is both the lion and the lamb. Daniel went on to say, our enemy is not people, it's flesh and blood, it's not flesh and blood, it's Satan. So we must fight the spiritual battle that is hand. When we are lambs in the natural, we are lions in the spiritual, where the real enemy is. This is how real change can come into our world. And so here's the thing, when my heart is tugged with brokenness over the school system and what's happening in some of our students' lives, actually I can just partner with Jesus in being a lamb. I can sacrificially give, I can be kind, I can listen for his promptings, I can work with him. And knowing 
that in the spiritual, I am a lion. And I am roaring for his kingdom, longing to see the change that I know my father also wants to see. You see, the bad news is the world is broken, but the good news is we know the one who makes things whole. And this is the message we have for the world. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy of our time and our lives. The second way that we, that we respond is we worship because the worthy one deserves our worship. And so that's what we're about to do right now. We wanna take time to center ourselves. You know what worship does? It reminds us that it's not about us. It's not about our strength. It's not about our skills. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about what he's done. It's about his sacrifice. And so we align ourselves with God so we can be filled afresh with God so we can work with him. And we're gonna give him all of our love and our adoration because he is worthy. And so if you are able, would you please stand as I pray us into worship right now? Yeah, the Holy Spirit, he wants to meet us here in this moment. He wants to fill you afresh with his love. And so we just say right now, come Holy Spirit. You alone are worthy, Father. And, and we focus our attention and our affection and our adoration onto you. You are worthy and we welcome you here, Father, as we give you the praise and the glory and the honor that you alone deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.